Morning. If you have your Bible, so if you'd go to Daniel 10, all the kids are dismissed if they haven't been dismissed, and they can they can hit the ground running. Amen. There they go. There you go. Amen. The old old days of the Jericho march. We used to go around the church. Now we just go in a little circle. Can't make it that far, you know. You make it around the rolling. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we want to finish this series we've been in the book of Daniel. And this, this last topic happens to be on the invisible realm and spiritual warfare. So it's very, very difficult to, to, to put it all in 40, 45 minutes. So I'll give you a lot of scriptures on the overhead for the note takers. And we'll do what we can do. We'll try to teach at the end just to save time. But if you would, Daniel, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war or a great conflict. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. His body was like crystallite. His face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs, they gleamed of burnished bronze. And his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and I listened to him. As I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my knees and my hands and said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you. And I stood up for I have now, for stand up for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, verse 12, Daniel, do not be afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, an evil spirit, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Because I was detained, battling there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. We'll use as a title this morning, Insights into the Invisible. Insights into the Invisible. And again, this will be our last message from this series of messages from the book of Daniel. Daniel was a man, the Bible says, of an excellent spirit. He was highly esteemed of God. He is someone that is a very good godly pattern and example for all of us to imitate. He faithfully served God in a foreign land for some 70 plus years. He was a man of great character and consistency. He was a man of integrity, of courage, of wisdom. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. Our final text will give us insights into effective prayer and reveal to us the spiritual opposition that is very real. And very active in the now. In the now. Dr. 
David Jeremiah writes, sometimes we pray and there doesn't seem to be an answer. Or at best, the answer is a long time coming. We grow discouraged thinking God doesn't care. It's possible, as Daniel observed, that the answer to our prayer was delayed or is being hindered by hostile heavenly spiritual beings. One commentator, Dr. Leopold, put it like this. We get a rare glimpse behind the scene of world history here. There are spiritual forces at work that are far in excess of what the men who disregard revelation would suppose. They struggle behind the struggles that are written in the pages of history. This morning we'll break down our thoughts four parts. Number one, a concerned prophet. A concerned prophet. Number two, an awesome vision. An awesome vision. Number three, an invisible war. We're involved in an invisible war. And then lastly, a personal reality or application. Number one, a concerned prophet. You see that in verses one and three. For three weeks, Daniel had fasted and prayed. You can look at the ninth chapter where Daniel's also praying and see how he prayed. He pleaded with God. He, he, he mourned, he groaned, he entered in. For three weeks, Daniel seriously, sincerely fasted and prayed and sought the face of God. He was burdened for the condition of his countrymen that had been allowed to return to Jerusalem after the 70 years of chastisement. And they were facing discouragement and opposition in their attempts to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But he was also concerned. There was a conflict in his heart. He was concerned for he desired to understand and get a greater understanding of the visions and the prophecies that God had already given him. Revelations that concern the future of his people and this great conflict and this great war that they were facing. Daniel at this point was an aged man, upper 80s, early 90s. And before he went to the grave, he wanted to leave behind a prophetic message for the people of God. Something that would encourage and instruct, give hope, give strength to the people as they're facing a challenging future. When one day we get to heaven, we will discover that what happened to God's people here on earth depended a great deal on the prayers of burdened, broken, faith-filled people like Daniel. Fervent prayer still brings great results. Fervent prayer still makes a great and eternal difference in our lives. We think of souls saved because someone prayed through miracles take place because someone refused to take no for an answer. Marriages are healed because someone stood and believed God and groaned through it all. Someone saw the answer, turned situations around again and again. Let's never forget James 5 and 16 hasn't gone away. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or is powerful and effective. There's something to be said, ladies and gentlemen, in a lazy spiritual culture about praying through And meaning business to get an answer. Not everything is accomplished with a quick formula or dot me on the head. We see that in spiritual warfare. Because there's a real enemy out there. And he just doesn't lay down and die. There has to be a perseverance, an enduring of the people of God to see the breakthrough come to there. Somebody say amen. There was a concerned prophet. His heart was burdened. God had laid a burden on... When is the last time... Well, we're going long today. When was the last time you had a burden on your heart? 
When is the last time God put a burden on your heart? When is the last time you were moved to change your schedule, to rearrange priority? Because the living God put a burden on your heart. We're moved now by blue light specials. We're moved now by half price here. We're moved now by, but when's the last time you were moved because the living God gripped your heart with something that mattered for eternity, not tomorrow? Something that caused you to sacrifice and surrender and live a life that said, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I'm here for the kingdom of God. I'm here for that which Jesus had purchased. Come on, say amen. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. We sell by the billions of spiritual warfare booklets, but oh, if we could only get the tenacity of a real spiritual warrior, we wouldn't need so many books. Come on, come on. There you go. Help this preacher. You're going to do all right. We're going to make it. God laid a burden on Daniel's heart. It gripped him. It constrained him. It broke him. It captured him. And because Daniel responded, because Daniel responded, Many times we get a burden and we want to run. We get a burden, get me out of this atmosphere. But Daniel responded by praying, by fasting, by mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, by enduring. Today we study his prophecies. For hundreds and hundreds of years we've been encouraged by his life. When we look throughout the pages of Scripture, we see men and women that received the burden of the Lord. And they gave themselves to that burden. We think of Hannah and Jeremiah. We, we think of the, the Moses, Nehemiah, Samuel, Abraham. We think of Paul. We think of the Lord Jesus. We think of the many men and women that felt the burden of God. And they moved and they prayed and they wept and they stood and they wouldn't be moved. They responded to the burden of the Lord. And their response made an eternal difference. May we be a people who are sensitive enough to receive God's burden and faithful enough to respond to it properly. Let me say that again. I'm going to flow with the Word of the Lord this morning. Oh, God wants you. God wants your faithfulness. God wants your service. God, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm looking for a people that will sell out for eternity because heaven is still beautiful and hell is still hot. Come on, say amen. Prophet was burdened. He was moved by the thing that moved God. Oh, there's a prayer. Father, move us by the thing that moves you. Cause us to weep by the things that cause you to weep. Cause us to groan with the things that cause you to groan. Cause us to serve with the things that move your heart. May we be a people who are sensitive enough to receive God's burden. And then faithful enough to respond properly to that burden. May our lives here make an impact for their eternity. And when we leave this earth, may we leave behind like Daniel. Something that will help and encourage, guide and inspire those that are coming behind. When we examine the lives of the men and women of the Daniel type, the Daniel pattern in Scripture, we see that they were burdened. We see the burden of the Lord filled their heart and the burden of the Lord fueled their faith. 
when we study the men and women of the Bible, that God has put in the sacred test to encourage us, to inspire us, to instruct us, we'll see the burden of the Lord fill their heart and the burden of the Lord fuel their faith. They were greatly concerned and they cared about the glory of God and the people of God and the cause of God. This gospel must be preached. And they were fueled. Their faith was fueled by that burden. Men and women of action. For they were driven and inspired by something greater than themselves. What drove them to work and to go and to give and to sacrifice, to risk, to believe, to be committed to the cause. They were motivated and fueled by something more than the American dream. More than just personal comfort. The eternal vision and heart of God constrained them and moved them. May the Lord stir us with His divine burden. And may it move us towards wholehearted devotion to our Lord. May words like service, sacrifice, surrender, and accomplishment no longer be foreign to the Christian vocabulary. Can you say amen? 2 Corinthians 5, 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 and 14. As we finish this first point of a concerned or burdened prophet. We'll close with these verses here. Paul, Paul, they said Paul was crazy. You know, you get sold out for Jesus to say you're crazy. If you're sold out for golf or something, you're, you're just one of the boys. You know, one of the, one of the lukewarm. But if you get sold out for Jesus, you're crazy. They thought Paul was crazy. Paul said, if we're out of our minds, it's God's fault. <laughs> It's for the sake of God. It's God did this. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. But here's the thing. Paul says, here's the real issue here. Christ's love compels us. We're driven. We're motivated. We're ignited. Because the love of God has constrained and gripped our hearts. We're convinced about something. We're convinced that the living God died for us. That we were unworthy, unlovely, that we were guilty, but God so loved the world, He loved us, that He gave His one and only Son. And that reality has come to our hearts and minds, and it drives us, it moves us. We're not ashamed to sacrifice, we're not ashamed to declare it boldly and clearly that all might hear. We are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. What's that next verse? If you got it, throw it up there. And therefore, Paul goes on to say, we no longer live for... And that those who live... Anybody living here? Are you a Christian and you're living? Any Christian still alive? All right, don't have to bury anyone. Not yet. All right. Those who live should what? No longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Oh my God. Somebody say Amen. God, give us that. I want to be moved by the... When's the last time? I'm going to ask it again. When's the last time God put a burden on your heart and you were moved to change your schedule, sacrifice, give, rearrange, because God had gripped your heart. God wants to grip your heart if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian. He wants to grip your heart with something that grips His heart. That it would inspire you and compel you and constrain you to divine action that really matters. Friends, we only have a lifetime for eternity. We only have a lifetime. Just do our best for eternity. And we must be constrained. Like the prophet, he was burdened with the burden of the Lord. But number two, and he also, we'll just go on from there, he had an awesome vision. Number one, we see a concerned, burdened prophet. But now verses 4 and 9, 
Daniel receives an awesome vision. After the three weeks of fasting and prayer, Daniel was suddenly met and he received a glorious vision of a man clothed in linen. These were priestly garments. His face and eyes flashed with brilliance. His voice resounded with a great force and power. It was an awesome vision of overwhelming beauty and strength and heavenly glory. The people that were with them, man, they just got so overwhelmed and terror, full of terror, they just ran. Daniel himself just fell down, out, helpless and pale. Daniel stood by the Tigris, and God met him in such a remarkable way. And God revealed to him his people's future and the future of man's history. Who was this person? Well, some feel he was an angel. Others with supporting evidence. They believe he was none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus. The similarity between Daniel's vision here and John's vision in Revelation 1 and 12 through on is remarkably similar. And there's other reasons. But number two, very simply, he had an awesome vision. An awesome vision that led to number three, an understanding of an invisible war. He received an understanding of an invisible war. We find out that a battle was raging in the spiritual realm. That an invisible war was going on in the heavenly realms between the forces of evil and the forces of God. For three weeks, Daniel had been praying and fasting. He's asking God for wisdom. He's asking God to help him understand these visions that he's already seen. But the answer to the prayer was delayed. Why would the Lord not immediately answer the petitions of his chosen esteemed prophet? Well, we find out because the prince of the kingdom of Persia, an evil angel, had attacked the angel of God that was bringing the answer. This text of Scripture gives us insights into the spiritual realm. We learn that there is, there is, there is a great conflict raging before, between the forces of evil and the forces of God. Satan, as we know, was destroyed at the cross. But his final punishment and banishment are not yet. They have not yet been enforced. Someday, Satan will be thrown into the pit of hell and consigned to eternal torment. But, but he's loose today. Even though the sentence has been passed. And while he's loose, he attempts to hinder and resist and attack the people in the plan of God. The thief is... Now, some people, well-meaning, may scoff at the idea of demonic forces, good and bad angels, etc. But the fact remains, it's clear Bible teaching. Now let's go to the personal reality. The personal reality. Amen. Number one, we must recognize there is a spiritual war. We must recognize there is a spiritual war. To ignore it or to be ignorant of it won't change it. Or make it go away. You can act like an ostrich, but, but that just plays into the devil's hand. We, we, my people perish for lack of. Amen. So God says, let's go to the book and get some knowledge so we can be the victors and not the victims. So again, we must recognize Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. And we must recognize, number one, there is. There is. There is a spiritual war. I have to recognize that. I have to recognize that. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord. 
and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. What's that next verse? He says, but listen, our struggle, our fight is not against, it's not against the in-law. It's not even against the boss. It's not even against big bad government. You know, it's easy to get in the natural because that takes away from being spiritual. It's easier to get on your Facebook and write about your gun law control, but you haven't spent 30 minutes praying for a country that needs God in a desperate way. Oh, Jesus. Someone say amen. That wasn't in the notes, but that's just flowing. I'm feeling good. For our struggle is not against, fill in the blank, not against President Obama. Oh, he's not even around to pick on anymore, is he? No, God says judgment begins where? Not in the White House. What house? His house. Yeah. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but what is it against? Rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual, spiritual, underline that in your thinking, the spiritual forces of evil where? In the heavenly realms. So again, we want to recognize there is a spiritual war. 1 Peter 5 and 8. 1 Peter 5 and 8. Again, we want to teach, I want you to get this. There is a spiritual war. There is a spiritual war. You know, that, 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 that youngster, there is a spiritual battle for his or her soul. That marriage is under attack. There is a spiritual war to destroy. You destroy that marriage. Boy, those kids have to pay a price for that stuff, don't they? I mean, I'm telling you, there is a, the thief cometh only to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy anything that God has said, it shall be blessed, it's of my will. Be self-controlled and alert. Or be diligent. Be watchful. Be awake. Be spiritual. Because your enemy... Again, who's the enemy? The devil. And not, not the natural. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Wow. He prowls. That means your enemy is aggressive whether you are or not. Your enemy is aggressive whether you want to believe he exists or not. Man, you, you can just say, I'm going to take it easy, and I just want a cool, easy existence. That's great. Do what you want to do. But just so you know, your enemy is active, and he's aggressive. And the Word of the Lord says, if we're going to combat him, we are not to ignore him, but to be alert and watchful and recognize he's out there so we can see him and resist him and overcome him. Back in the 80s, a man wrote an article. He was on one of the downtown buses in downtown Chicago. And it had to be the 80s because he talked about the, the, um, it was, the bus was filled with office workers, affluent shoppers, and restless punkers. I think punkers went out in the 80s. So, but anyway, punkers. And he said about getting closer to downtown by Clark and Webster, two men and a woman got on, and the bus driver, seasoned veteran, been driving that bus for some 20, 25 years, immediately bellowed, everybody watch your valuables, pickpockets on board. Women clutched their purses. Men made sure, you know, to make sure they knew where their wallet, where eyes were all fixed on that trio. They came in the front door, walked out the middle of the door of the bus, didn't even sit down. You see, the Bible warns us to be vigilant because evil is less likely to overtake us when we're alert and not asleep. Peter says, be alert because any of us, any of us, any of us can get spiritually relaxed. And lose our spiritual alertness and sharpness. And then we pay the price. Look at one more. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. 
2 Kings 6, 15-17. Again, number one, personal application and reality. We have to recognize there is a spiritual war. There is a spiritual war. The great prophet Elisha. When the servant of the man of God got up, he went out early the next morning. Elisha had been messing up the enemy king because every time the enemy king had a plan, God would speak to his servant and Elisha would go to Israel's king. Hey, look out at such and such a place. There's a setup. And, you know, it's kind of hard to win a battle when the other side's got a prophet of the Lord giving them all that insider information. Amen. And so the king or the enemy king find out what was going on. We got to get rid of this prophet. Amen. And so they find out where he is and they surround the city. The servant of man woke up early next morning in an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. He said, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Man, we're surrounded. Our goose is cooked. That old prophet, he knew, walked with God long enough to know not to let man get him too worried about life. And what's that? Now, what's that next verse say? And the prophet said, don't be afraid. Relax, son. Relax. Are you crazy? Now I know the old man gone too much into the spiritual thing. The army's out there. We're surrounded. They're going to kill us. He said, Relax i got to worry. Don't you know I have a right to worry? Don't you know I have a right to... Relax, son. Why? Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The young guy said, my Lord, now he's seeing things. Oh, Jesus. You know, when you walk with God, you're going to start seeing some things too. Amen? You see the eye of faith where that backslider don't see. You, you see things in the realm of faith and in the spirit that the lukewarm, they're there. Well, well, I don't see anything. Can't you see that those that are with us are more than those? It's, just, it's an invisible war. And so the prophet has said, oh, God, open his eyes so he might see. Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And when he looked, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. They were there all the time. The servant just couldn't see them. The invisible armies of the living God were there all the time. But it took men and women of faith of the Spirit to perceive them. And to recognize them. Oh, glory be to God forever. So many times it's not so much saying, Oh, God, do this, do that. Sometimes it's, Lord, help me to see what you have done and what you are doing. But we want to recognize, number one, that there is a spiritual war. And there was a spiritual grace and protection there that the servant just couldn't see. But God, help us to see. So we recognize there is a spiritual war to ignore it, to be ignorant of it, won't change it or make it go away. But we also recognize that Christ through the cross, has defeated the enemy and his armies. Colossians 2 and 15. Colossians 2 and 15. Speaking of Jesus having disarmed. I like that. Disarmed. The powers and authorities. That's what we're fighting against, aren't we? And that's what we're fighting, right? We said that earlier. That's what we're fighting against. That's the big problem. It's in the spiritual realm. Disarmed powers and authorities. He made a public, a public, a spiritual public. Hell knows it's been defeated. Hell knows Jesus is Lord. Hell knows He's risen. And every knee shall bow. Hell knows that. We just got to get the people of God to know that and walk in that now. He made a public spectacle of them, of the forces of evil, triumphing over them by the cross. Again, if you would, Hebrews 2 and 14. Hebrews 2 and 14. 
There is a spiritual enemy. He's out to destroy us, deceive us, hinder God's plan for us. But Jesus has defeated the devil and his cohorts. We need to recognize that. We're not fighting so much for victory, but from a position of victory. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus, he too shared, he shared in our humanity that by his death, by his death, back to that cross, by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. 1 John 3 and 8. 1 John 3 and 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. That's your habit. If you're habitually sinning, you're not saved. You're not serving God. He who does what is sinful, habitually sin, is of the devil. Because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The purpose, New King, or the King James, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of of the devil. How many you know he accomplished his work? Anyone? And, and, yeah, go ahead, go, no, uh, yeah, there it is. So that God, oh, go back to the NIV now. That's good. I'll go back to the NIV. I quote the King James. You got these, all these versions in your head. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. How many know Jesus accomplished his work? Amen. How many know mission accomplished? It is finished. Amen. Jesus. So, so again, so we want to recognize in this time period, there is a spiritual war. It's real and it's serious. Yet Jesus has defeated the enemy. He just has not yet imposed the final judgment on. Okay, number two now. We recognize that we have been given. There is a spiritual war. We have a spiritual enemy. The real struggle is not what we see here. It's what's going on behind it. But secondly, we must recognize we have been given the equipping to be victorious. We must recognize there is a spirit. But we have been equipped for victory. If you go back to Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18. Jump right to 13 as we, we read that already. Hallelujah. Because not only do we recognize we wrestle not, but therefore, Paul says, because we are wrestling a spiritual battle, put on the armor of God. The armor of God, not the armor of flesh. The armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when that enemy comes knocking on your door, you will be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. You've got to put on the armor of God. And so that means He's equipped us with something to stand and fight the enemy with. Amen? It's not the natural man. It's not the schemes of men. What's that next verse? Stand firm then. And when out, He's going to give us weapons that are spiritual. Weapons that are character, they're not the weapons the world would use. Stand firm. How do I overcome the enemy in my life? Well, number one, I better be a person that walks by truth. God's word is truth. Put on the belt of truth. You know, when your belt don't work, your pants fall down. Amen? All right. You get embarrassed when you don't walk by truth. When you walk by the false, when you walk by deception, when you walk by lies, you get embarrassed. But when you walk by truth, His Word is truth. Amen? When you walk by truth, you can overcome the enemy. You'll give him no place. You'll defeat him, not with lies. We defeat with truth. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. All right? And then the breastplate of right. We walk a righteous life. I am righteous in Christ, but I live a righteous life. I'm not giving him any place. Amen? Hey, 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 hey. Don't look at that other woman. Don't give the devil a place. Come on. No, we're talking about spirit. It's all spiritual. It works out in the natural shame and embarrassment, dysfunction. But it starts out in the spiritual realm. I'm going to walk in righteousness. 
What else is there? Not only the righteousness, but we're going to... My feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's walk in peace. Do you know Jesus? Then you ought to have the peace of God and peace with God. Fruit of peace. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone's stressed out. Everybody's worried, acting ugly, yelling at one another. Oh, they got to go drink. They got to cut corners. It's a nervous. I got peace like a river. Peace like a river. I'm walking in shoes of peace. At least I'm, I'm walking in the gospel. Uh, why shouldn't I? Jesus is with me. I'm saved. Peace. Peace. You walk by peace. Those that are always agitated, all the devil got to do is say, boop, poke you. Like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Boop, poke you. And you lose it. Amen? And you lose it. Oh, what else? What else? Take up what? Shield. Faith. 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 You can extinguish those fiery darts of evil, can't you? Faith. Faith. What else is up there? What else is up there? Oh, helmet of salvation. I see life through the cross. I see life through the hope I have in Christ. I see life through the reality of what Christ did for me. Helmet of salvation. Wow. And of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is? These are spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. We must recognize we have been given the equipping to be victorious. You can be victorious in this Christian experience. God has equipped you. God has empowered you. Paul writes, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up. Against the what, what, what are some of these? What, what, what are some of these weapons? Well, prayer is a mighty weapon. Amen. Prayer is a weapon that you have to defeat the enemy. Faith. We overcome by faith. Um, the word of God. It is written. Jesus said when he faced off with the enemy. It is written. The word of God. The blood of Jesus. They overcame him by the blood. Oh my! The blood. Praise is a powerful weapon. How often in the Bible they praise God in the hard times and great things happen as God was moved by praise. The name of Jesus. In that name, the gifts, loving not our lives unto death. Look at one more, Luke 10, 18 and 19. Luke 10, 18 and 19. Hallelujah. This is a good one. Again, you've been equipped to win. You've been equipped to win. But we have to recognize we're not going to win the Christian thing by carnal methods. It's a spiritual battle. Have to develop a prayer life. Have to get a love for the Word. Have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Don't always equate Christianity to a political party. They're not the same thing. Uh, get like me a better amen there. Come on. They're all going to hell if they don't have Christ in their heart and they're not living for Him, no matter what they say, no matter what they sing. Come on, that's good, that's good, that's good. Come on. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you. Who's He give it to? I give you authority to trample on the snakes, the scorpions. He's not talking about literal things. He's talking about the enemy and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. God has equipped us to win. Dr. Jeremiah writes something interesting here. Uh, I found it interesting. He says, we enforce Satan's sentence through prayer. We often think of prayer as to someone, but prayer can also be against someone. Thought about that. It's like this. As I pray to God, He moves in my situation. As I pray to God, He dispatches. 
He's called the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of armies. He dispatches his angels or his answer, his deliverance. I'm not praying to them. I'm praying to God. But as I pray to God, the result is I'm working against that situation and the enemy that's trying to bring that confusion and bring that oppression and bring that bondage. Number one, we must recognize there is a spiritual war. Number two, I must recognize I have been equipped to be victorious. God has given the Christian all he needs to be victorious in this life of faith. But I need to learn it, understand it, learn how to walk in it. Number three, I must recognize that I'm responsible to do my part. I gotta do my part. Even with, you know, sooner or later, your mommy can't pray for you. You, you gotta pray for yourself. Sooner or later, you gotta stand on your own. I gotta do my part. What do you mean? Well, the, the Bible says give no place to the devil. I got, I gotta stop giving a place in my life if I wanna win. The Bible says be devoted to prayer. Be faithful. I gotta be faithful in prayer. The Bible says put on the armor. I've gotta put on that armor. I've got to walk in righteousness. I've got to use the sword of the Spirit. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. But you've got to resist him. You can't resist him for you. You've got to resist him. You've got to learn how to pray and believe and stand on the Word of God. You've got to learn how to be firm, to praise him in that midnight hour. What we do on earth affects what's happening in the heavens. What happens in the heavens affects what's happening on the earth. James, 1, James 4 and verse 7. James 4 and verse 7. Again, I've got to do my part. All right? I understand there's a spiritual war going on. The devil means business. The devil means business. That's why we've got to be people of prayer, people of the Word. devil means business. We can slack off. We can just want to get together and have kumbaya meetings. That's great. Wonderful. Let's not pray. Let's not have Bible studies. Let's just do fun things. Goody, goody, goody. But hell is marching on. Hell is ravaging families. Hell, he's going about like the image, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He loves nothing better to see them backslidden, lost on drugs. That's his goal. And he's doing that whether we do anything at all. So we have to recognize us there. Second, I've got to recognize God's given me the equipping to overcome him. Jesus has defeated him. He's in 